Welcome to episode 164 of the Yours Truly podcast. I am your host, Claire Tuning, non-diet registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, and lover of all things cheese. Hard cheeses, soft cheeses, I don't discriminate. I love them all. (laughs) But uh, I'm really glad that you're joining me for today's episode of the podcast. I don't know where you are tuning in from, but here in Virginia, I live right on the coast if you're new here, but it has started to feel like those first few warmer and longer days of the year, which is really great for morale. I was out walking around a little bit yesterday, and the day that I'm recording this, the day previous was President's Day, and some people had off work, seemed that everyone in my neighborhood did, but I was out for a little bit, and everyone was enjoying the weather, and looks like they were just really happy. The number of puppies that I saw walking on the beach, I have never seen it before. And something just says happiness about puppies, a sunny day, a day you don't have to wear a long winter parka in order not to freeze. You know, I don't mean to brag for anyone who maybe lives in the Midwest or you're still up there in the Northeast somewhere where it is not warm, but here in my world, it it has been pretty nice, which, yeah, like I said, is great for morale, but it's not great for productivity. I don't know about you, but when it starts to get nice outside, all I want to do is be outside. <laughs> And not do work, but we got to find a balance, a balance of both. Also, the day that I am recording this, you know, to be totally honest, I'm recording this the day before it comes out. I've fallen a little bit behind schedule on podcasting and being ahead of the curve, but we are here nonetheless. And this week, the week that this episode is going to air is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. And I was feeling really frustrated earlier today because I taped two separate TikTok videos to put out with some facts on eating disorders, with some resources as to where people can get help if they or someone they know is struggling. And both of those videos were taken down for, quote, violating community guidelines. Which guidelines did they violate? I have no idea. When I click more information, the site will not load and it doesn't tell me specifically what was wrong with the videos or what is violated, but I find it incredibly ironic that a platform that does not flag or take down videos made by non-nutrition professionals that promote absolute quackery around nutrition, those are not taken down, Those are not flagged for violating any said guidelines. I'm sure if you were on TikTok, you have seen your share of videos too that promote really disordered behaviors around food and movement. Again, usually from non-professionals, but some from professionals as well. And none of those videos, no matter how harmful they might be or how triggering they might be for some, they're usually not taken down. But a video made by a professional talking about awareness of eating disorders, something that will affect millions and millions of people in their lifetime, that gets taken down? Question mark, exclamation question mark? I don't know. I don't get it. But nonetheless, 
putting my frustrations to the side, it is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week, so I thought I would take a couple of moments here in the opening of this episode to share some facts about eating disorders and kind of everything I was gonna say in those TikTok videos, but I have a little bit more freedom and flexibility to say what I would like here on the show. So, fact number one, I have a whole list here, so we're just gonna go through them. But fact number one is that 28.8 million Americans experience an eating disorder at some point in their lives. And eating disorders are serious mental illnesses. They are not a choice, they are not attention-seeking behavior, and they deserve to be taken seriously. It's also really important to note that eating disorders occur in people of all body shapes and sizes. You cannot tell anything about someone's health simply by looking at them, and you also cannot tell what their relationship with food is like simply from how he, she, or they appear on the outside. Dieting is something that increases one's risk for developing an eating disorder or falling into disordered eating behaviors. Dieting can be one of those things that we are exposed to really early on in life and it creates quite the slippery slope towards having a really unhealthy relationship with food. And lastly here, everyone struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating behaviors deserves to heal and live a full life. So if you or someone who you know is struggling with an eating disorder in their relationship with food in general, and you're trying to decide if it's time to seek professional help, there are a couple of resources that I will list out here that you may find helpful. So first you can go on Nita's website, That's the National Eating Disorders Association website and check out their online screening tool. So that's available at nationaleatingdisorders.org slash screening tool. And on that website, you can also connect to a helpline and other supportive resources that will help to connect you with the support that you're looking for. That online screening tool is really awesome because it will ask you some questions. You can take this yourself. Maybe you can point someone who might be struggling with an eating disorder in the direction of this tool and it allows you or that individual to assess kind of where they're at and if they're in a position where they need more help than they are currently getting. And seeing that this week is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, it is quite appropriate that the guest I have for you on today's episode is a registered dietitian who specializes in eating disorder care. So on today's episode of the podcast, I am talking to Brianna Theus about a topic that is not talked about super often in the intuitive eating space, and that is the topic of... Is intuitive eating really for everyone? Or are there things in the intuitive eating framework that we need to tweak or address to make some of the principles feel more accessible? And we also talk in this conversation about some phrases that are commonly used by intuitive eating providers that might actually be more harmful than they are helpful. You'll hear throughout our conversation that I raise my hand when I'm offering examples of some of these phrases because I have 100% said all of these things before and when we know better, we can do better, but I think it's really important to address as Brianna and I will talk about these things that are commonly tossed around that we're maybe not considering the full impact of these statements. 
So Brianna Theus, a little bit more about her, about our lovely guest before we dive in. She is a black registered dietitian based in southwestern Connecticut who works with folks who struggle with eating disorders and disordered eating. Brianna's goal is to help you develop a better relationship with food, your body, and exercise. Brianna specializes in BIPOC clients, that stands for Black Indigenous People of Color, whom she helps navigate those same goals with an emphasis on how white supremacy shows up in their lives, specifically in nutrition and healthcare. She helps them embrace their culture and lean into enjoying their cultural foods. If you'd like to learn more about Brianna and the resources she has to offer and how to work with her, be sure to check out all of the links that I have listed out in today's show notes. But for now, let's go ahead and get into this conversation with Brianna. Enjoy. Hi, Brianna. Welcome to the Yours Julie podcast. Happy, very cold Thursday to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you and we're, we're not going to waste any time because we're going to dive in with our five, this or that questions. Very important. Are you ready? I'm so excited. Okay. My first one, this one is about taking a trip. So when you travel, do you prefer to drive or fly? Ooh, I absolutely hate flying. So I prefer to drive. Okay. Uh, even if you're like, even if it's super far away, you're like, everybody pack up the car. We're taking a road trip. That's you. That, that is me. (laughs) (laughs) I respect it. It's, it's funny that road tripping comes up. I was supposed to take a road trip with a couple of friends a few weekends ago, but we got derailed by an impending snowstorm. So we did not go, but I, I made an Instagram post, something along the lines of there are two types of people on a road trip. The first type of people are the people who are like super concerned with actually getting there, right? It's like they got the map, they got the GPS. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other people, this is me, the other people are only concerned about the snacks. It's like, what are we yeah. going to eat? <laughs> which, uh, which one are you? I feel like I'm a mixture of both. I'm like, I need to get there. I need to know what time we're going to get there. But I also need to know what I'm going to be eating the whole time. I'm, I'm on my way there. Wow. Sounds very practical of you. (laughs) Uh, Second question, coffee or tea? I think I'm more of a tea drinker. I, my coffee has to be like specific occasions. I'm like, okay, let me go grab a coffee. But the majority of the time, if I'm at home, I'm going to have tea. Okay. I feel like that is the the less popular answer that I receive on that question. Yeah. I um, I'm admittedly more of a coffee person. I I don't know if this is the right way to phrase this, but I like I envy tea people because it just seems like such a calming thing to be able to do. Like I'm gonna make a cup of tea every mm-hmm. once in a while. I wake up and try to be that girl, like that person who does that. <laughs> but then inevitably, I just forget that I've made the tea. And then I'm like uninterested 20 minutes later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not you though. Um, what about games? Are you more of a card game person or a board game person? I think again, I'm a mixture of both. So if it's a card game, definitely Uno, that is the best game of all time, Uh but I've recently gotten into Clue and I have to say, I, I'm pretty good at it. I only play against one person and I always <laughs> beat him. <laughs> so that is like my go-to board game. 
You're like limited sample size, but I am good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what that's um it's been a long time since I've played Clue, but that's where it's like Colonel Mustard in the library with the candlestick or something like yeah. that. That's the clue, right? Yeah. I wow, that is a really dusty memory on like the back shelf of my brain playing that <laughs> game, but it is fun. Uh okay, season-wise, do you prefer fall or spring? I think fall. My birthday is in October. So uh-huh. I always I always have to say fall, but out of all the seasons, spring and fall are have always been my favorite. But yeah. I think fall. Yeah. It's something about the transitional seasons, right? Mm-hmm. It's funny, even as we're playing this game, I find that this or that, it's very like one one thing or another, but you've even answered multiple times in the gray area right? Yeah. You're like, I'm both. The fall and spring are like the boths of the seasons, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. I think October, hot take, October is the best month of the entire year. I said it. I 100% agree. (laughs) Especially since you have a birthday, even more of a reason for you to believe that. Okay. Final one I have for you. Donuts or cake? Donuts. Do you have a reason? I'm curious. You know, it's weird. I don't, I don't know if I have like a specific reason. I love a good um, sugar donut. Like I don't like any frosting. I don't like any filling in my donut. I just like a a nice sugar donut. Uh But it's funny because I am a cake baker and decorator. And that is something I love to do on the side. But I don't enjoy cake that much. Is it kind of one of those things that since you do that like professionally or since one of the things you do on the side that you don't really enjoy it as much for yourself because it reminds you of work in a way or like having to make a cake for someone is that part of it maybe but I also think that if I buy a cake from a bakery or from like a grocery store or something I and I hate that I do this, but I'm always judging it. I'm like, okay, my cake is so much better. I'd rather just eat my cake. I, let me just go get a donut because I don't make donuts that well. <laughs> That's I've, I've never thought about it from that perspective. And it's interesting that you bring up, you're judging the cake, not from like a moral perspective, like good food, bad food, but it's like my cake would taste so much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, I am not a baker. I always joke, anyone who listens to the podcast has probably heard me say this before, but I've never liked baking because there are too many rules. Like you cannot Mm -hmm. stray from a recipe and baking or you're bound to mess the whole thing up. Whereas cooking, what I prefer more, you can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Like there's more room for error, but I've never been much of a baker, so I can't say I'm good at it. But, you know, if I'm ever up in your neck of the woods, I would like to try a cake. <laughs> that would be lovely. <laughs> I'll definitely make one for you. <laughs> uh, I would I would very much love that. And then we could meet IRL. It would be a great time. But um, <laughs> now that we've done a little bit of this or that, I mean, our audience knows more about you than they did a few minutes ago. But I'm interested for you to share just a little bit about who you are, what you do, and most importantly, how you came to where you are now or to this work. Yeah. So um, I'm Brianna. I am an eating disorder dietitian. Um, I mostly focus on 
disorders, disordered eating. I have a private practice where I see um, people who struggle with those things. Um, in particular, so I see everybody, but in particular, I specialize in working with people who are BIPOC. Um, partly, or I guess mostly because I am, I'm Black. So I have that experience that I can also help bring to my clients um, and the work that we do. So I came to this on a very, I guess, lengthened journey. Um, so as dietitians, we have to have a dietetic internship. So after we graduate from college, then we have to do an internship. And I graduated in December, and my internship didn't start until August. So I had a length of time to kind of work and make money to pay for the internship. So I got a job working at a um, residential treatment facility as a diet tech. So I was doing the cooking um, for the patients and I sat and I ate dinner with them um, and we just talked throughout the time. And I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting um, because in school, we never have that, uh, we never learn about eating disorders really. So this was really my first experience with it. So I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. This is something that sounds like I would want to do it because I always liked counseling, um, but I didn't know like what type of counseling I actually wanted to do. And then in my internship, again, no eating disorder education whatsoever, even though I asked and I was like, can we get something in here so I can figure out if this is what I want to do? They were like, no, we don't, we don't have that available. I was like, okay, cool. So after that, I went into um, clinical work, working at the hospital. Um, and then I went into school nutrition, where I had a lot of downtime. So I spent a lot of my time listening to podcasts, reading books, um, reading articles, and mostly Christy Harrison's uh, podcast. Mm -hmm. And I really got into um, the eating disorder field. And then I got a job after that working in eating disorders, and I haven't looked back. It's been a winding road, but you're here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone's, if anyone's curious about the podcast that you just referenced, it's, it's food psych. I feel like it's one of the, the biggest ones in the non-diet space, but whenever anyone yeah. mentions that they listen to a podcast or they had a helpful resource, I like to plug what that was because I know people are going to be wondering, but yeah, you and I were even talking a little bit before we hit record that in schooling to become a dietitian. We hope it's different now, but at least when I was going through school and it sounds like you as well, there really isn't mention of eating disorder care, disordered eating. And I find that so confusing because you and I both know and our listeners know as well how prevalent that is just in the world that we live in. So I'm glad we've ended up where we have, but um, <laughs> now, that, now that you've shared a little bit about your story, and that you do private practice, you work with clients. I think something that comes along with that is creating content specifically on social media so people can find you. And one of your recent posts, I say recent, it was maybe a few months back, but um, it was one of the ones that stood out to me when I first was introduced to your profile. And the theme of this post was simplistic statements that providers, someone like myself or yourself, will often say to individuals in recovery, whether that's from an eating disorder, chronic dieting, whatever it might be. And just to give our listeners some examples of the statements that you shared in this post, they were things like, all bodies are good bodies, or if your clothes don't fit, 
just buy new ones or intuitive eating is for everyone. And I have to be totally honest with you, Brianna and everyone else listening. I have said all of these things at some point in my career. Um, Me too. But yeah, so I have, right. Especially when you're like newer into the intuitive eating space, these are just the lines that we're fed. And as we'll probably talk about, they come from a place of positive intention, but I'm, I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit more about this post and just kind of your thoughts in general on providers using statements like these. Yeah. So I, again, definitely have said all of these statements and more in my time, um, as an eating disorder dietitian, right? Because these are things that we're learning constantly. We hear other people saying them and you're like, oh, cool, that makes sense. I'm going to start saying that to my clients too, because it sounds like it was helpful for so-and-so. So so I'm going to start using it too. So I've definitely said all of these things um, more than once. Um, But as I've been kind of like going along in my journey as a dietitian, I've started to become more, um, I guess, curious about some of the things that we're teaching to our clients, some of the things that we're saying, some of the resources that we're using. Um, And I noticed that, especially in my work with BIPOC clients or anybody in a marginalized identity, a lot of these statements don't help them. A lot of these statements aren't like, like you said, they have good intention, but it is the impact of the statement that is more important than the intention. And the impact Mm -hmm. of the statement is, is not a great one all the time. Um, so for example, all bodies are good bodies, but what about bodies that are marginalized? What about people in black bodies? What about people who are, um, who are fat and they go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't, um, the only thing the doctor says is for them to lose weight without caring about whatever they went to the doctor for, even if it has nothing to do with weight whatsoever. Right. So saying statements like that, it kind of, it it takes away, I guess, from the experiences that marginalized people go through. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if this, if this resonates with what you're saying. I know I've had some conversations with clients like about these statements. Um, I guess what I'm about to say is kind of two pronged, right? Because as I told you before, and as you're sharing too, I have said these things as a provider more than once. And I I'm really grateful to have had people in my life, clients, maybe people on social media who have pointed out, hey, that's not necessarily helpful, right? And sometimes that's hard to hear as a provider because the last thing that we want to do is harm, especially if this is coming from a place of positive intention. So almost, and I'm wondering if any providers who might be listening can resonate with this. It's like the defensiveness that comes up. It's like, but no, 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 I didn't mean it in that way. Right. But we have to remember, as you're saying, it's the impact of our words that matter more than the intention behind them and how grateful we can be that we can have people that point out, Hey, that's not helpful for me. Um, yeah. Oh, I I totally was going to say something that was two pronged, but I forgot my second thing. Darn, what was it? Um, Maybe, could you give us another example? So I know you just gave us the example of the all bodies are good bodies and how that might be invalidating to some people who are hearing this. Can you give us another 
example. Um, one of the ones I listed out was the clothing piece or intuitive eating is for everyone. So if you want to expand on one of those or even another that I might be missing, but I think it could be helpful to have another example. And um, I also want to add that when I did post this on my Instagram page, I was not looking forward to what was going to come out of the post. I, I was expecting a lot of pushback. Uh -huh. um, like you were saying, like providers who maybe become defensive about mm -hmm. why they say the things that they're saying. And honestly, I didn't really get that much, which was nice. But mm -hmm. I also don't know how many people it reached either. But one of the ones that I was mostly afraid of writing was intuitive eating is for everyone. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a phrase that so many people say, um, again, I've said it in the past, intuitive eating, I feel like, and, and I use intuitive eating in my practice. I use some of the principles. Um, I don't, I don't use like everything in, in order in particular. I do, I do use some of the principles, but I feel like intuitive eating doesn't take into account people who aren't able to listen to their bodies for whatever reason, right? Because intuitive eating is all about being able to listen to your body honoring your hunger cues, being mindful, doing all of these things that kind of are that like interoceptive awareness. Mm -hmm. um, and not everybody has that ability. So people who are on medication, people who are disabled, people who have experienced trauma in whatever way, like a lot of people just aren't able to actually do that. Um, <clears throat> so I think saying that intuitive eating is for everyone again erases the experiences of so many people who just aren't able to do that and using that as a framework in your treatment and in counseling um, is not going to be helpful for everybody. Yeah I remember the first time that I read that that statement wasn't helpful it it was another post it was another article and I had never even considered how invalidating that statement could be for someone who does have trauma, right? Maybe with their body or in their relationship with food and the idea of connecting while eating feels super unsafe. Or even another example that you didn't list yet, if we think about someone who doesn't have like full access to food, someone who's maybe experiencing food insecurity, right? How yeah. invalidating or unrealistic it might be to say, well, eat all the things, give yourself unconditional permission. I mean, that's great if we're able to, but that not, might not be a reality for everyone who is hearing these words. So I, I really appreciate the way you phrased it or how you described the ways in which you incorporate some of the themes or some of the principles into your work. But I think where it can be a little bit problematic or troublesome is if we are presenting intuitive eating, it's like, these are the 10 principles, this is how it is, and we're not really leaving any space for nuance or to say, but what about in this situation? Or what about someone who has X, Y, and Z experience? And I feel like the nuance can kind of get lost sometimes if we're solely focused on just the 10 principles and that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I feel, I didn't put this in my post, but I feel similar, similarly, I can never say that word. It's a hard word. <laughs> about, <laughs> about haze. Um, so mm -hmm. health at every size. So haze is also kind of similar to intuitive eating as it doesn't take into account 
um, racism. It doesn't take into account weight stigma. It doesn't take into account people who are disabled. Um, and also, like, what does that word health even mean, right? It could mean something different to other people. So um, I actually wrote this down so I could be prepared, but the World Health Organization defines healthy as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. But my question from that, and I don't know if this is the same definition that Hayes is also using to, mm -hmm. to define health, but my question, from that is, can someone be truly healthy if they are oppressed, right? If they are poor, if they are trans, if they are fat, if they are black, if they are some other marginalized identity, can somebody actually be truly healthy if they are going out into the world and facing that oppression, facing racism, facing fat phobia, stigma everywhere they go? Yeah, it's almost like the word healthy, <clears throat> I don't know if this is the right word to use to describe it, but we're we're gatekeeping it in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. right? It's like, A, mm -hmm. what does that even mean? And when you break it down in the way that you just did, we see that that word healthy, especially how it's defined in that definition that you shared, is not accessible or is yeah. not attainable for all. Um, yeah, I'd never even thought about that in the context of health at every size and how it's very similar, how that might feel and validating as well. So thank you for, for bringing that in for that perspective. Um, I want to come back to this idea of things that we say where the intention is good, but the impact is not so good. Uh, I think not only providers say these things, but I think it might be also fair to say that loved ones of people who are recovering from an eating disorder, disordered eating, whatever it might be, might be inclined to say some of these things, to offer reassurance, to make the person feel that they're not alone, to maybe try to relate to them on some level. So let's maybe try to relate this to someone who's listening, who's not a provider, who might know someone, a friend, a family member who is going through this recovery process and they want to be there and they want to be helpful and they want to be supportive, but they don't know how to do that without saying things like, oh, it'll get better or like mm -hmm. trust the process or just buy new clothes or like nobody cares what you look like. Right. I hear that one a lot, right? Nobody cares. Nobody's looking. So what are maybe some alternative approaches to be supportive in a way that doesn't come off as dismissive, if that makes sense? Yeah. So I think the first one that I will always say is to validate. So if somebody is feeling like um, that people are caring about what their body looks like, maybe validate where those thoughts are coming from for that person. Like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That is so hard for you because of X, Y, and Z. Um, my next tip is always to ask somebody how you can support them right? Because support is going to look different for every single person. So one person might want it to look a certain way. And then another person might say, never do that. I do not want that. I want this instead. Um, so asking them what they want the support to look like, and also being okay with the fact that they might not know how they want to be supported either. Um, so before saying these statements, think about 
what the impact could be. Mm-hmm. Um, even though your intention is is probably a good intention to think about what the impact could be of those statements um, and validate where they're coming from, validate how they're feeling and just be there with them. Yeah, I, I find that piece, what you just said, that's a really hard part because how mm-hmm. uncomfortable and dare I say awkward sometimes does it feel? Now, us as providers, over time, I think we get used to this, right? I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with um, Brianna Campos, Brie, she, mm-hmm. her name. Yeah, body image with Brie. But she, I don't know if it's her term, but I definitely learned it from her. She says, sit in the suck with someone, yeah. kind of like sit there in the sticky situation, in the feelings. And again, we as providers over time can get more comfortable with that. But for someone who maybe doesn't work in a helping profession, it feels weird sometimes to have someone share something that is really hard for them or something that they're going through and not immediately want to jump to fix that thing for that person or to make it better or to sweep it under the rug. But to say something like that sounds really hard or like that sounds really uncomfortable and just sit with it. It's it's weird and it's uncomfortable to not jump to fix. You're, you're nodding your head a lot as I say this. So I'm assuming maybe it resonates. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I was like that in the beginning of my career as well. I was like, Oh, you're feeling like this. Let's fix it. Let's Mm -hmm. figure out ways to not have you feel like that. Right. But in eating disorder treatment in recovery, um, it is important to learn how to sit with those feelings of discomfort for the person in recovery and for the support as well. So yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. Like it is, it is, um, easier said than done. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it's so much easier to be like, ah, I just want to fix it. So you're not hurting anymore. I want to fix it. So much better. But I think that's really where the validation piece that you're talking about comes in. Like that can be something that really allows you to sit in that space with someone without mm-hmm. jumping to fix or saying something that's going to be received as dismissive. I, I love the phrase, my, any of my clients who are listening are probably like, oh, that sounds familiar, but I love the phrase <laughs> of, you know, it sounds like dot, 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 right. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that's really hard for you, or it sounds like you're really uncomfortable in your body right now. Right. And of course, you know, read the room, know who you're speaking with when you're saying these things, but I, I love the phrase of it sounds like, or it seems as though, or based on how you're describing this dot, dot, dot. Um, I think that can really help with the validation piece. And the final thing that I want to point out from the answer that you shared or, or what you were saying before was being okay with the fact that the person who you're trying to help might not know how they want to be supported. Um, Can you expand on that a little bit more? Because I think that can be something that alarming isn't the right word, but off-putting maybe is the word as the person who wants to support. If you're saying, what can I do for you? How can I help you to be met with a, I don't know, like it can be off-putting or it might even be frustrating for some. So can you expand a little bit more on that idea of, they might not know what they need. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people who are maybe even in the beginning of recovery or even like at the end of recovery, wherever, wherever anybody is, I think that this comes up a lot for people 
Um, it could be because of a different motivation. It could be because of a variety of factors that they're just like, I know I need support. I don't, I do not know what that support can look like for me right now. Um, and that is something that I think comes up for a majority of my clients. I hear at least 90% of them say this at least once in our time working together that like, I, I do not know what I need for support. And my parents, my guardian, my friend doesn't understand that I don't know what I need. And they keep trying to, again, they keep trying to fix this or they keep trying to say these things that just aren't helpful for me right now. Um, so in that hearing that somebody doesn't know what they need, I think, again, that is going to be sitting in the suck, right? Because that it, it is frustrating to be like, I don't know what to do right now. You're not telling me what you want me to do. And I, I feel like I'm hopeless or I feel like I'm helpless. Um, I can't help you in this situation. And I feel like I want to do everything in my power to be able to help you, but I don't know how. Um, so yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable for you um, as somebody, as a support um, to not know what to do in those situations. Yeah. And just accepting that I don't know how you can help mm-hmm. me with the answer for now and knowing that the only answer might be to sit there with them and to validate and to think that maybe with time as they're receiving support from a professional like yourself or someone who's trained to help that they might become a little bit more clear in time yeah. on what they need from a loved one, a friend, a family member, but it's okay if they don't know right now, or especially in the beginning of a recovery journey. Yeah. Um, Brianna, the final thing that I want to ask you um, is about all or nothing thinking. And I'm bringing this up because I recently had someone on the show. Um, She was a, a therapist who was talking about all or nothing thinking in the context of the, the person who is recovering from disordered eating, dieting, whatever it might be, and how that is not very helpful to be so rigid in our thinking when we're trying to create a healthier and more flexible relationship with food. But what I would love to get your perspective on since in this conversation, we've been talking about providers a little bit more and how we respond as providers. Do you ever think that all or nothing thinking comes up in professionals, like in a professional helping someone through recovery? And if it does come up in the professional, how does that maybe get in the way of the person recovering or how is it not helpful for them? I don't know if that makes sense, but I'd love to get your perspective on that. Yeah, a hundred percent. It definitely comes up. I've seen it in me. I've seen it in other people. Um, so definitely like no judgment if it has come up for you. No, ju- no judgment in any of this conversation <laughs> at all. Um, because these are difficult things that we're talking about. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, all or nothing thinking. Definitely. I see it all the time. Um, and I guess it, it is like that, that black and white thinking, right? There's no nuance in what you're saying. Or sometimes I see providers or myself getting frustrated because you're trying this one thing with a client and it's not working. And you're like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? This isn't, this isn't helping anybody. This isn't helping them. Now I'm feeling frustrated because it's not doing what I wanted it to do. Um, and in those situations, imagine how it might feel for the the client or the patient that you're talking to, um, that you're counseling, um, hearing, or even like hearing the frustration in your voice, hearing the, 
annoyance or seeing it physically, whatever you're doing with your hands or your facial expressions, um, your body language. Um, so that could be super frustrating for them. And it can be, um, what's the word? It can be, I guess it can make it harder for them in terms of motivation or just in terms of how the rest of their day is going to go, knowing that this is something that is difficult for you as a provider and talking to them. Um, so it is so important to make sure you are individualizing your treatment, your counseling with your clients. Not everybody is going to be the same. Not everything is going to work the same way for a certain person. You can use some frameworks for one person and no frameworks for the next person. Um, so reminding yourself that there has to be that nuance. There has to be that gray area in your counseling as well, because it can't be like, okay, this is, this is all I'm going to do. Um, and if it doesn't work, then I don't, I don't know what else is going to happen. I mean, we need that flexibility as mm -hmm. providers, right? I feel like the, the idea of being flexible and not so rigid comes up a lot in this podcast, whether we're talking about how we approach food or in this context, how we approach helping someone in their relationship with food. I remember we've also talked a lot about how we've grown and like learned things as, provider, as providers, but in the beginning of my work as a dietitian and in private practice, I remember really being a little rigid in my approach thinking, okay, this is session one. This is what we cover. These are the tools I'm going to share. And this is what we're going to do in session two and three and four. And it's going to be great. Right. And everybody's going to be helped. Right. How, how naive <laughs> <laughs> that's how it's going to go. But, you know, I, I've really seen, and maybe any providers who are listening, we see over time that how we approach a conversation with one person like you're saying, is going to be completely different from how we approach it with another person. And the tools we offer in one context might be really different than the tools we offer in another. So yeah, I appreciate your, your perspective there. And I think if we can relate this like to anyone who's listening, who's not a dietitian or a coach of any sort, if you are working with a provider who's not being flexible, or you feel like they're not catering to your needs, or they're not hearing what you're saying, but their recommendations are really prescriptive. It's like, feels like they're reading off of a script or mm -hmm. they tell the same exact thing to everyone. That might be an indication that maybe it's not the best fit. Right. And I know it's not as easy as like, just find a new one. That's like another one of those dismissive statements. It's like, yeah, what yeah. if they're not a network or what if I can't find a new one? But yeah, just kind of look out for that. If anyone is searching for a provider, like, do they listen? Do they have that flexibility? Is there anything else you'd like to add to that list? Yeah. So I always tell my patients. So if I'm, if I'm working, um, in like the PHP IOP level, so like the partial hospita hospitalization or intensive outpatient level, um, I always tell my patients, like, I'll give you a list of referrals for dietitians you can contact. And even if you have one or two sessions with somebody and you're not feeling it, it's okay to go to the next person. Mm -hmm. It's okay to come back to me and ask for help for finding more referrals because you're not going to click with everybody. Um, and it's just, it's, like, it's not any offense taken from the provider. It's just, it's just a fact. Like, you're not going to click with everybody. You're not going to work with everybody. And again, easier said than done. 
if you can find someone who looks like you. So if you're black, if you can find someone who's black, if you are fat, if you can find someone who's fat, at least one person on your team. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I know that that is few and far between. So it can be more difficult um, to do that. But if you have the opportunity to do that, I would definitely say go for it. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that speaks to the power of having a network and being able to do like interviews like this and and have people on the show who look different, who have different lived experiences, because I don't know, maybe someone's listening to this and they're like, I think I would be a much better fit to work with Brianna over Claire. And hey, amazing, right? Um, And I think too, that's something that I... try to do, especially on um, like social media or someone is DMing, like offering a list of options, because just like you're not going to be friends with every person you meet in the real world. And you might not feel that click or that friendship spark, if you will. That's also the same for looking to work with a professional, right? People have different personalities, different approaches, different lived experiences. And I agree if you find someone who's similar to you in that way, odds of clicking are maybe going to be a little bit higher. So that actually is a really good transition to the final question that I have for you, Brianna. If anyone is listening to this conversation and they're wanting to learn more about you and the work that you do with clients, maybe they want to follow along on social to get more of this content that we're speaking about. Can you plug where people can find you, where they can work with you, any projects you have going on? anything that you want to share? Yeah. So my website is thecelestiallife.com. So that's C-E-L-E-S-T-I-A-L life.com. And then my Instagram username is the same, thecelestiallife.rd on Instagram. I don't think I have any projects in particular going on. um, But on my Instagram, I try to focus on, again, like um, the BIPOC perspective of recovery of eating disorders of, of like providers and, and things like that. Um, so if that is something of interest to you, then you can definitely come over, follow along. Um, and then if you want to work with me or just have any specific questions for me, you can DM me on Instagram or you can go to my website and contact me from there. Cool. And I'm guessing the link to your website can be found through your Instagram. Yes. Yes. Okay. It should should be there. (laughs) Okay. It's all, I know it's all under like the same name, the same username there, but I know it's easier for people to find you if it's like, I'm going to go to this one place and click on this (laughs) one thing, and then they can learn about your content, how to work with you, all the above. Uh, Well, it has been really incredible having you on. I've really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you so much for your time here today. And yeah, my listeners of the podcast, whenever I'm signing off, I always look at my microphone as if like the listeners are in the microphone. It's like a silly little quirk, but my listeners, that is all that we have for you today here on the Yours Truly podcast. So we are going to go ahead and sign off by saying Yours Truly, Claire and Brianna. And that's a wrap for episode 164 here on the Yours Truly podcast. A really big shout out again to Brianna for joining me for today's conversation. If, like I said earlier in the episode, you want to learn more about her, read more of her content, or learn about how to work with Brianna, you can check out all of her links in the show notes of this episode below. 
If you enjoyed our conversation today or anything else that you've heard here on the podcast, it would be so wonderful if you could tap those five stars and leave a rating and review if you feel so inclined. You can do that if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, but if you listen to your podcast somewhere else, maybe somewhere like Spotify or SoundCloud, you can also share this episode by taking a screenshot and putting it up on a social media story. Be sure to tag me and Brianna as well so that we can say hey and thank you for listening. Or you can just text this episode out to someone who might find it helpful. Wherever you're listening, you'll be able to find the link to the show by tapping the three little dots somewhere on your screen or hitting the options button. And that'll give you the link so that you can text it, email it, airdrop a link, however you like to communicate with those around you. But again, thank you so much for spending some of your time with your with us here today. There we go. And until next Wednesday, I hope you have a safe and a wonderful week ahead. See you soon.